There's no place in the world like Rodeo Drive. I'm Pari Eason, your host. And I'm your field correspondent, Jason E.C. Wright. Welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. On today's show, the dream stays alive at the Beverly Wilshire. Here's the first of many adages or secrets. Treat celebrities like real people and treat real people like celebrities. Art Stryber is a longtime photographer of luminaries in fashion, sport, and entertainment. You'll hear stories from Art's career in celebrity photography when I talk to him momentarily. Now Art has been selected to document the dreamer experience at the Beverly Wilshire. It's part of a new makeover for the glamorous hotel that first opened in the Roaring Twenties. And I got to learn more about that when I sat down with the hotel's current regional vice president and general manager, Peter Humig. Peter brings a lifetime of experience in hospitality to the Beverly Wilshire. He told me he got a taste for the hospitality business as a child. Hotels are all about dreams. And in my case, it goes back to when I was about five or six years old. I had the great, great pleasure of actually growing up inside a luxury hotel. My parents ran a luxury hotel back in Switzerland. And I do remember as a child, I would sneak back out of our apartment, which was inside the hotel, and roam around the lobby at night. And I would admire the people with their tuxedos and nightgowns going to these great events. And when you're a little kid, you get a glimpse into a world that seems magical, that seems full of dreams, that is so different than becoming a pilot or a policeman. And I decided I want to work one day in the very best hotel in the world. Talk a little bit about how you ended up here at the Beverly Wilshire. Was it about the history of the property? Was it about the kind of majesty or the mystical parts of it? Or was it just the fact that it was kind of the jewel in the crown for you or all of those things. But like, what was it that made it such an easy decision for you to say, this is, this is where I need to be? It is exactly as you described and more. Mm. The Beverly Wilshire has been around for nearly 100 years. The Beverly Wilshire was host to presidents, celebrities, hosted the Beatles press conference. Elvis Presley lived here. We've been the backdrop to the folks that either won an Oscar or have been, no- or have been nominated mm-hmm. who would host their parties here. So the Beverly Wilshire does not need to be introduced. The Beverly Wilshire does not need to be described. Even if you're not into luxury hospitality, you know what this hotel is all about. And I remember from when I lived back in Europe, the Beverly Wilshire was also famous because of the Pretty Woman movie. Right. So it's just one of these very few places in the world. There is maybe five hotels in the world that have this iconic status, and the Beverly Wilshire is one of those five. You brought in uh, David Collins' uh, group for doing some of the redesign. Is that more of a eventuality from a standpoint? These are the things that our guests have maybe asked for. Is it something to stay competitive, to keep an edge for, again, new openings coming in to Beverly Hills? The way we approached this was four seasons, certainly the BW, we always listen to the guests, but also the employees. They know mm-hmm. best what is needed, what should be done as we embark on a refresh. And so we have spent quite a number of years to get to this point. Our owners and Four Seasons Design and Construction have interviewed many designers to pick the most suitable for the job. And what's really important was to us is that we not just refresh the rooms, but that we stay true to Hollywood, the glamour, the history, the legacy, the expectations of our guests, which is a timeless decor scheme where you feel I have arrived at a luxury hotel, but it also feels like my home. Mm -hmm. It is not too much, not too opulent, because again, the modern luxury is not how it used to be in the 80s and 90s. It's it's the subtle elegance. 
The Beverly Walsh is iconic because of two reasons. It's iconic because of the guests that stayed with us over the last nearly 100 years, from, again, presidents to celebrities. But it's also iconic because of the staff. We have employees in this building that have been with us for nearly half a century. Mm. These employees are truly the people that make the difference when you talk about luxury hospitality. There is nothing more powerful than an employee who's been here for decades that have known you for the many, many years. You have come to us and now your children. While the rooms are beautiful and they may lure you to the hotel the first time, it is the staff that will keep you for many, many years. If you like our new rooms, that would be wonderful. But I hope you remember Jose the doorman or Halina right. the front desk agent or, or one of our service in the restaurants because those, again, bring the dreams to life and will make a difference in your life. At one point, this was the epitome of what people would think about coming to L.A. It shifted a bit. People are looking at places that they never looked at before, like downtown or Venice. What do you think is still the appeal, the enduring appeal of Rodeo Drive in specific, Beverly Hills in general? And what is the Beverly Wilshire's role in attracting a new generation that maybe never saw a pretty woman but still wants to know about the legacy of this hotel and why it's the end cap here that sets you off to a whole new world of dreams. So the Beverly Walsh and Rodeo Drive are joined at the hip. So when you go back in history, the owner of the Beverly Walsh in the 60s, Hernando Courtright, was very disappointed that around the Beverly Walsh, there was no shopping. There was no high-end dining. And he lobbied very hard with the city council and the business community to say, we need something like Fifth Avenue in New York. Ultimately, his lobbying and his push created what is known today as Rodeo Drive. So the origin of Rodeo Drive dates back to the early 60s and to Beverly Wilshire. But the beauty about Rodeo Drive is it has gotten more interesting from a shopping perspective. There is more a diverse number of stores. The stores continuously evolve. Chanel is building a massive new flagship store. George Romani is, is building a new store. And so... When I look back maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, is it better? It's not better. It's different. And I think mm. that's the continuous lure that Rodeo continues to evolve, to change, to improve. And then, of course, it goes without saying, it's Southern California. It never rains in Southern, California. Southern California. 65 and sunny around. It's hard to beat any, you know, even the most luxurious indoor mall. It doesn't beat Rodeo Drive. That was Peter Hewitt regional vice president and general manager of the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. As you heard, the hotel is going through a bit of a makeover. That includes a new program that they're offering to their clientele, the Dreamer. And guess who got a taste of what that might involve? Our very own Perry Isa. That's right, Jason. So, Perry, tell us about it. Did it fulfill your Rodeo Drive dreams? Well, Jason, I have to say it was quite an experience. I remember you saying that you wish that you could, like, live there. I did say that. I wish I could live there. I was given a suite on the 11th floor. It was sun-drenched, had bay windows, which opened onto balconies with mm. expansive views directly onto Rodeo Drive and up into the hills. Mm. And I really enjoyed the juxtaposition between the historical and the soft modernist aesthetic. Definitely. There was a lot of callbacks to Art Deco with these soft grays and this exposed metal, but it was done in a very uh, soft and contemporary way that felt like it updated the history without forgetting it, but inviting a new contemporary guest and client to experience this. And I think that treatment worked very well. 
Speaking of which, you got quite the treatment yourself during your stay, didn't you? Oh, I did, and I loved it. I got the full pretty woman treatment. I had my hair done, and, and that's a story into itself that we're going to say. <laughs> and then I got to sit back on a chaise and speak with their dreamer photographer, Art Stryber. Since I love photography and my own work has to do with the staging of images, we had so much to talk about, but we started with his childhood dream. I have to guess that I, I first set foot on Rodeo Drive in, I'm going to go with the late 60s, early 70s. And I grew up in Pacific Palisades, which honestly back then was a sleepy little suburb. But if I needed a suit, my mother brought me and my brothers to Rudnick's of Beverly Hills. So... I knew that for this special thing, we were going to this special place. And even back then, Beverly Hills carried a lot of mythic weight. So that's kind of the, the context for me. And seeing this massive hotel at the end of the street was, oh my God, what is that? And, and I think they still do it. There was a massive Christmas tree. And it might have been the ma biggest Christmas tree at the time on the West Side. So that was mind-blowing. And to be here now and to have worked in, you know, some of the, the more beautiful rooms in the hotel and the, the legendary suites of the hotel has been just such an honor for me. I, I photographed uh, Nicole Kidman here. I photographed Michael Caine and Liam Neeson and Kevin Hart here. And, you know, to be part, to be a small part of the history of the Beverly Wilshire going forward is really an honor. And also, I like the idea of you memorializing these, these figures in this space. I'm such a fan of context and how that informs an image Absolutely. or a mood or an environment and how that affects the sitter and you as well as a photographer. Yeah, I, I really believe that the, the environment, the setting is uh, a secondary read to my portraits and I, I tend to kind of back off a little bit and let the space breathe uh -huh. around my subjects. I like that idea of the space actually having like a breathing presence and, and could perhaps like create a dialogue into itself with whoever is being photographed. What this hotel lends itself to is this kind of European glamour mm -hmm. of the 20s and the 50s and the 70s, but it's still updated. You know, the architecture, you can't get rid of the bones, you know, and the bones of the hotel and the molding and the doorways and the going from one room to the, the other is, that's permanent. Uh, you know, I'm looking over your shoulder at these, you know, balconies that look like they could be in Florence. The hotel is undergoing a renovation and updating some of the rooms, which is exciting. And then there's also going to be a Dreamer series. How do you relate to that series and, and what is the Dreamer? So the idea behind the, the Dreamer, uh, the, the, the hotel came to me and said, we, we want to create a very, very high-end exclusive package for our guests that they wouldn't have access to, okay. you know, in any other context. And whether it's, you know, being in the kitchen of a five-star chef or being on the sidelines of the Dodgers or the Rams or the Lakers, we want to give our guests the opportunity to be photographed by you by me. That's my contribution to the Dreamer And package. so then essentially you become part of the dream. Exactly. And we are still associating the word dream with Beverly Hills, with Southern California, with Hollywood, I think speaks to the enduring aspirational 
sunshine mythology of LA. You know, there are still people, and this fascinates me as a, as a fifth generation Californian, as a lifelong Angelino, it fascinates me, and it always has, that there are still people getting off, you know, in the old days, getting off the train, uh-huh. getting off the bus, packing all their stuff, and moving to Los Angeles. I, I was literally on the phone last week with a woman in Chicago who's in the advertising world who is on the road right now, never lived in L.A., driving to L.A. to live and work here, actually, <laughs> in entertainment. So that that's still alive. You know, oh, that's yeah. still... And, and even after, you know, the advent of, you know, social media and the streaming services and the ubiquity of entertainment, mm-hmm. this place is still mythological. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about collaboration and the idea of the types of work that you do. I know that you lived in in Milan for a bit. And what were you doing there? Were you doing more like runway photography? or? I was in Milan. My wife and I were in Milan from 1989 to 1993. We were the co-bureau chiefs for W Magazine, Women's Wear Daily in those days, uh, DNR. And Fairchild Publications had a number of other magazines that we were responsible for. And uh, I was a jack of all trades. On any given day, I might be doing runway photography. I might be doing fashion in the streets. I would be doing portraiture, travel, events, reportage, still lifes. So I was literally hitting eight or nine different genres. The ultimate challenge. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point because food photography is not interior photography. Mm-hmm. There are some crossover concepts, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they're really different. So I was kind of honing my skills up to a certain point in in all of these genres, but I realized early on, this is a collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, you're either collaborating with a food stylist or a wardrobe stylist or hair and makeup people or a set designer or a fashion designer. And first and foremost, you're collaborating with your subjects. And that takes precedence. That's yeah. literally at the mm-hmm. highest level is that I have to gain the trust of my subject. I have to engage with my subject and they have to be relaxed and put at ease because the truth is there are very few people on the planet that love or enjoy having their picture taken. Right. But the portrait I take of you today is not about today. Even though it's a huge pain in the neck, you know, and a lot goes into it, the portrait I take of you today is about 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. It's about 30 years from now. It's documentary so that your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren can go, oh my God, Mm -hmm. look at this picture of Nana from 2022. Where is she? Oh, I think she was at a hotel in Los Angeles. Like, and you've got those kinds of pictures of your great, I hope, of your great-grandparents that just live as this, you know, memento, uh, this frozen documentary moment from the past. Well, that's really the power of a still image. Absolutely, yes. It just, it feels very everlasting. Absolutely, yes. In the way that motion just doesn't. I agree, yeah. Motion feels more ephemeral, but it also is, motion is trending, if I could say that. Yeah, Um, no question. Which is interesting. I mean, what is your, you know, how has, this is an obvious question in a sense, but how has social media, like, changed? Has it pushed you to evolve? Has it, you know, what are the... What are the positives and the negatives? I don't know that we have enough time to talk about (laughs) the negatives. So what we'll do (laughs) instead is uh, 
just land on the positives, which basically is that you get to narrate your, mm -hmm. you get to tell your story right. in any way that you feel comfortable. That's really, to me, the, the most singular power. So how do you carve like a niche for yourself in that world because we're so inundated with imagery? When I lecture in photography, what I tell young photographers is that you get to decide and you are going to land on a message, for lack of a better word, uh -huh. that it should feel real to you. You shouldn't be trying. It should just be a natural extension of you so that your potential clients, your potential subjects, your friends and family recognize you. And here's another, or the first of many adages or secrets. Treat celebrities like real people and treat real people like celebrities. That is just like entry level basic 1A. Because when you're photographing a celebrity, they are hearing multiple times a day, oh my God, you're amazing. Oh my God, I loved you. Oh my God, I'm a huge fan. Oh my God, that time in that, that line that you did. And oh my God, I was at all of your concerts. And you become a sycophant. Mm -hmm. And when a celebrity or somebody of, someone of note is uh, my subject, they are there to get a job done. And I do not fangirl on them at all. I just say, this is what we're doing. You know, it's so nice to meet you. Um, you know, we're going to get you in and out of here. I really, you know, we, we've got a shot over here and then I want to do the shot over here. And what do you think of this shot over here? And, you know, I'm thinking that maybe we should put you in all black for this. And when I'm photographing a real person, it's exactly the opposite. You know, I've done all my homework. Oh my God, I loved your book. I ate at your restaurant three weeks ago and I had the Bronzino and it was amazing because it turns out that people actually do enjoy talking about themselves and there's now an appreciation that, oh, this person knows who I am and gets me uh -huh. to some extent. I just wanted to ask you too, I'm curious, because are you on TikTok? Like, are you engaging on that platform? Or are you just like, I'm not gonna touch that? There's, there's only so much you can right. do until I, I then, you're, so. then you're hiring somebody. Yeah. That doesn't translate as uh, well. No, and I'm also a big believer in there is a certain amount of, I'll just use the word power, in not being everywhere all the time. You know, there's a little bit of mystery and mythology and exclusivity to not being ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Or so I'd like to think. I would like to think the same. <laughs> but I, I do operate under that belief as well. There's only so many things you can do well. And apparently and there's was. a lot of power in being in tic on TikTok three times a day. Yeah. But <laughs> that's just not my approach or my energy level or my, you know, my, t my yeah. calendar doesn't permit me to come up with new dance moves, you know, a couple of times a day. I, I understand. I feel the same, but I'm going to try to get out there and dabble in it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Art, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure Absolutely. to speak with you, and I loved hearing about your work. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was the photographer Art Stryber, currently working on the Dreamer Experience at the Beverly Wilshire. I'm Parry Eason. And I'm Jason E.C. Wright. Next week, We'll tour the highlights of Rodeo Drive with Kathy Gohart, president of the Rodeo Drive Committee. And I'll talk to Antoine Sargent, writer, editor, and curator, who is always at the vanguard of fashion and art. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the city of Beverly Hills. To Rodeo Drive, the Heyman family, Beverly Wilshire, a Four Seasons Hotel, the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau, and MCM.
Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton, with editing and videography by Hans Fjolstad. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Grace Fu is the production assistant. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See See you on on the the street. street.